This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets. We are Star Trek. This is Robert O'Reilly, Chancellor Garon, on Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Glory to you and your house. the Vulcan Science Council in a special broadcast chamber that's not a listening post we swear it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network for the 199th time welcome everyone to the Trek Geeks podcast I'm your co-host Bill Smith it is such an honor and a privilege to be here with you thank you for downloading and tuning in and listening to two nerds from New Hampshire talk about Star Trek and of course by two nerds I mean, Dan Davidson and somebody else. Um, well, no, there's really no nerd bigger on this 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 podcast than Dan Davidson. He really puts the geek in Trek geek. Buddy, good to have you here for what is our last episode in the 100s. If I weren't Vulcan, I'd be sad. <laughs> Why? I, because we're, we're losing the, the 100s. But we're gaining the two hundies, which is very exciting. Two hundies, not Vulcan anymore. Woo, woo. What's up, man? How are you? <laughs> Good, buddy. <laughs> this is this is amazing, and and what better way to end this the uh, the episode starting with the century mark? I don't even know if that makes sense. Um, than by going along one more time with an amazing Women of Trek episode. So here we are, episode one niner niner. It's it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, almost five years ago, um, we started this this endeavor. It's grown beyond our wildest dreams, and here we are on the cusp of two hundred episodes, which is uh, is pretty significant in the life of a podcast. Um, I figure most podcasts that don't succeed usually are gone before ten episodes. Mm. So it says something to uh, the fact that people still download and listen, which still makes me scratch I my head. I don't have any idea. Just listening <laughs> to your. Spinal cord decalcifying voice and my ridiculous shenanigans. I just don't know, but I'm thankful for it. This Thanksgiving after week Thanksgiving week, my spinal cord decalcifying voice. Yeah, isn't that nice? I bet you couldn't type that if you had to save your life. Oh, spinal cord decalcification, baby. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm not even going to try that again. Not even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, today we're going to talk about a character that uh, that I really have grown to love mm-hmm. uh, in the last 15 years or so since Star Trek Enterprise went off the air. Uh, and of course, we're talking about uh, T'Pol, you know, Vulcan science officer um, and uh, and and first officer extraordinaire of the NX-01. Yeah, this was the first time that we dealt with a retcon series. And of course, we had these new characters coming in at a timeline between, or you know, before TOS and this, that, and the other thing. So there were questions and uh, there were questions about the characters. And I'm going to be uh, first to say I had some questions and I'm sure we're going to get into all of that. But as you said, drew to love to Paul uh, without a doubt um, after the short, unfortunately short four year mission. Absolutely. Well, Dan, our four-year mission is coming to a close as we start our fifth year in 2020. And how might people get us messages for uh, for this episode or future episodes? Well, it is uh, so easy to get in touch with us, Bill. Everybody can just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and they will find a variety of ways to get in touch with either you or myself. Let's see. There's Skype chat. There's email. There's that big blue button on the right-hand side of the website. You can leave a voicemail with SpeakPipe. Whatever way you want to contact us, just make it snow. Snow? Make it snow. It just snowed a lot here in New Hampshire. Oh, don't start. I'm sorry. So make it so because we love hearing from you. And don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,400 other friends talk all things Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you're going to find it first on Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. And to join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and there you will just be taking place, taking part in a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Dan, and Sarah for the amazing job they do running the camp. Please remember, though, that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. And I'd also like to say, Bill, I think this is old copy that I put in today's episode because I think we have 1,600 members at Camp Kittimer. Wow, look at that. <laughs> On the fly fact checking <laughs> from the lovely and talented Dan Davidson. Dan, great job, buddy. Why don't you take a breather? I know that was hard. I'm tired. Kill Spock. <laughs> it's not what we came to Vulcan for, is it? Oh, that was very nice. And it's time for the news from treknews.net. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. <laughs> for all the news on... Oh, no, is that Scooby-Doo? For on all, all the Star Treks, yo. <laughs> <laughs> it's treknews.net. <laughs> <laughs> I do that every time you open your mouth online at treknews.net. That's Dan Davidson always bringing the the noise and the funk. And in this case, the dog. Dan, first up, it's hard to believe that Star Trek Picard is is literally less than two months away. I mean, I think we're like at 50 days 
from the time we record this when it premieres on CBS All Access. But that doesn't mean we have to wait that long for some great Picard stories. No, not at all. A brand new Picard prequel series started recently with issue number one in IDW Comics, and it's entitled Star Trek Picard Countdown. And this is going to fill the gap uh, between Nemesis and the upcoming show. And from what we have seen so far, it does a pretty good job. The series is written by, excuse me, the amazing Kirsten Beyer and Mike Johnson. And when you have such a top-knop notch writers in a project, it's safe to say that you will not be disappointed. And as an added bonus, Bill, our good friend and fellow podcaster Shashank Avaru has his review of episode one on treknews.net right now. Now, I know that you have already read it. I will be reading it on the plane to Disney World tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to reading that uh, that first episode. You know, back before Star Trek 2009, there was a a countdown series that was meant to serve as sort yep. of like a, a a backstory for the movie, or at least setting up the events that take place in the movie. And that's exactly what this short comic series is going to do. It's giving us some texture and some background for the events of Star Trek Picard as we come into the series. Um, I, I read the first issue, and then I read it again. And it is a story that just... It is pure Star Trek through and through. And plus, it is so true to Picard that I just, I I can't wait for issue two. I, I can't wait to see how they progress this story as we prepare for Star Trek Picard. And I am even more excited than I thought I could be. I'll give you my review uh, when I land because I'm looking forward to reading it. You'll do it on the plane, mister, because you're going to get the Wi-Fi package. Oh, Okay. but you're right you know kirsten byers involved mike johnson um these are people who are no strangers to star trek kirsten byer who of course is in the writer's room for star trek picard Mm -hmm. so it's not like she has a tangential relationship she is part of that series so uh it's great stuff you got to pick it up and definitely check out shashank's review on treknews.net uh because i think it's spot on awesome Uh, well thank you uh also dan Uh, Continuing on in the news, the Star Trek Starships collection has a lot of new ships coming out in 2020. And as you might imagine, the list is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing and it's pretty long. So bear with me as I go through some of the examples. Um, With 2020, the number of teeny tiny ships, as some people like to call them, will peak at 180. And it's been announced that 180 will be the last in the line of ships, which I I did find a little bit interesting. Uh, There were over 20 ships announced. But some of the ones that caught my eye were the Cardassian weapons platform seen in Season 7 of DS9, Friendship 1 from Voyager, Pike's Enterprise from The Cage, and young Jonathan Archer's toy ship seen in flashbacks in Broken Bow. I thought that's very cool. Special releases, as they are called, include a gold edition of the Enterprise D, the Vulcan Lander, Land, 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 the Vulcan Lander T. Plana Hoth from Star Trek First Contact, and the Vulcan long-range shuttle the Serac seen in the motion picture, which was when Spock arrived on the Enterprise. And uh, for the Discovery line of ships, examples include the Section 31 stealth ship, as well as the Section 31 drone fighter, and the Mirror Universe Terran flagship bill, the ISS 
Sharon or Karen. Not sure how people pronounce that one. But Karen. I'm going with Karen. So there we go. I was right. There we go. And I'm not done though, bud. I know you like to correct me, but oh. I am not finished. Um, because oh, there is... You're finished. You're just not <laughs> done reading copy. <laughs> there are some new XL ships uh, that have been announced. Um, as well, And they are... Oh, these are good ones. The Enterprise J. The three nacelled Enterprise D from All Good Things. And the Klingon Katinga class starship that got eaten by V'ger in the opening scene of the motion picture. Cool ships. That's a lot of ships, and I didn't even name them all, buddy. So you know, it's amazing. You figure they've been sending out what two ships a month? Yeah. And for 180 issues, that's like seven and a half years that they've been consistently putting out ships, and that's not even counting the Discovery ships or the the regular XLs. Um, it is a line that has done really well for Eagle Moss. I just, I wonder what they're going to do next, quite honestly. Can I, can I say it? Can I say it? Go ahead. Send your ships. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have been really sad if, if we had gotten through that entire news story and you hadn't done that. <laughs> that was, that was for Drozen. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, I'll tell you what, I, when, the, when they first came out, and I think I've said this before on the show. I was not interested in them because where am I going to put them? There's so many. There's almost 200 ships. I don't have the room for that. But over the course of the last year, I've probably purchased like 25 of them. And they're all gorgeous. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And the XL ones, I just, they really make my heart skip a beat. So Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, pressing on. Finally, Dan, unfortunately, you know, from time to time, we have sad news to talk about on Trek Geeks. And today is one of those days. We were really, truly saddened to hear the news that another Star Trek legend has passed away. And honestly, it seems only fitting that we report it during a Women of Trek episode, since this person was probably one of the most pivotal women of Trek herself. Yes, absolutely. It's it's definitely fitting because she was the very definition of a Star Trek legend and is one of the pillars of the term women of Trek. If not for her, Star Trek may never have survived back in the sixties. And we were shocked and saddened to hear today as we record, uh, that Dorothy DC Fontana has passed away at the age of 80 after a brief illness. Of course, she's so well known for her contributions to Star Trek, including the original series, the animated series, next generation and deep space nine. Her storylines helped shape Vulcan history with episodes like Yesteryear in the animated series, as well as actually changing the romantic lead from Sulu to Spock in This Side of Paradise, which I found very interesting. Of course, Spock's parents were a direct result of her brilliant writing, and uh, she's often been credited with being one of the main contributors which kept Star Trek alive, and we're just so saddened by her loss. And I got to say, selfishly, Bill, I have an additional layer of sadness because we have been working on on possibly having her as a guest here on the podcast as we continue our celebration of the women of Trek. Um, And it will be a sad and empty feeling uh, when we do uh, have an episode to pay tribute to her later on in 2020. Uh, So we offer our condolences to her family, her friends and her fans. It is not possible to understate Dorothy Fontana's contributions to Star Trek. You know, when people think Star Trek, they think Gene Roddenberry. And over the years, people have also come to appreciate the contributions of Gene Kuhn, Mm -hmm. um, who created things like the Klingons. But there is, it is impossible to separate Dorothy Fontana from the fabric of Star Trek. Here is a list of TOS episodes that she either wrote or contributed the teleplay for. Are you ready? Charlie X, 
Tomorrow is Yesterday, This Side of Paradise, Cat's Paw, Journey to Babel, Friday's Child, By Any Other Name, The Ultimate Computer, The Enterprise Incident, and under a pen name, two other episodes, That Which Survives, and The Way to Eden. Uh, there is not a, an episode in any of, of that list that is not 100% classic. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then you consider her contributions to Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, starting with Encounter at Farpoint. Mm-hmm. She wrote everything that took place with Farpoint, and Jean wrote all the Q stuff. But you also get The Naked Now, which I don't hold against her, <laughs> <laughs> which she also wrote under a pen name, Lonely Among Us, fantastic episode, Too Short a Season, which I, I actually kind of like because it's got a TOS vibe, mm-hmm. and Heart of Glory. And that's just in TNG's first season. Right. You know, Dorothy Fontana is, was not only a trailblazer in Star Trek, but in science fiction, in television in general. And I, I, this one really hurts me. I loved her writing and I appreciate everything she's contributed. I I really am, am sad that I never had the opportunity to meet her at any type of convention. Uh, The last, the last uh, day or so, uh, as all the tributes have come pouring in, I think of, of our good friend, Larry Nemechek. Uh, who had a, a, a great relationship with her, yeah. and James Colley, who had an unbelievably wonderful tribute to her on Facebook today. Um, and it, it makes me happy that people had her in their lives and know that she was so important to Trek. And at the same time, it's just it's just so sad that 53 years this, this franchise has been around, and in 53 years, people are going to pass away, and it just seems to be all too often these days. She wrote for four Star Trek series, Star Trek video games, Star Trek fan films, um, you name it. Uh, in fact, one, an episode of, of James Colley's uh, fan right. film that they used Star Trek New Voyages mm-hmm. that used to uh, to turn out episodes. Um, uh, to say she is uh, Trek royalty is almost not giving her enough credit. So Dorothy Fontana, gone at age 80. Dorothy, thank you for everything. Well, Dan, another week has come and gone, and that means another week closer to the big day where we sit around a tree and open up all the gifts that we really hope are fan sets, pins, and accessories. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know that's what I'm wishing for. Um, <laughs> Same here. But uh, since we're talking Vulcans this week, Bill, uh, it's only logical to head over to fansets.com and order some pins or accessories like the pin locking backs or the acrylic stands that they have available. I know that you love those locking backs to keep the pin secure, and, and, and they make great stocking stuffers, uh, too. Um, Fansets is constantly releasing new pins every month. Uh, and if you are a fan of the Irwin Allen shows, then you should check out the newest release in that line, like the Lost in Space B9 robot. Very, very cool. I can always just picture those arms that look like dryer hoses. But anyway, um, (laughs) also from the Irwin Allen line of pins, you can get a four-pack set for a special price of only $39.95. This set includes images from Lost in Space, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, The Land of the Giants, and The Time Tunnel. It's a fantastic price for all four because each pin individually is twelve ninety five. So save your quat loose people and order the whole set. Oh, without a doubt. Of course, you know it doesn't matter if it's Star Trek or DC Comics or the recently announced Scooby Doo line. You're going to love all the pins that Fansets has to offer. And rumor has it 
as this very episode drops, that the highly anticipated 2019 holiday pin from Fansets, Picard's Dog Number 1 with the Santa hat, will be available at fansets.com, as well as the Number 1 Dog Collar tag, which I think is fantastic. I can't wait to get one of those for Abby. Mm-hmm. Now, now, of course, these are going to sell out quickly, and we can absolutely guarantee that. So do yourself a favor, head on over to fansets.com, put a whole bunch of pins and accessories and dog tags into your cart, and then use the code word Vulcan in all capital letters at checkout. Do that, and you're going to get an amazing 15% off your entire order. This bonus code is going to be available until midnight, Tuesday, December 17th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, Dan, we gather together to consider yet another of the women of Trek. And these are discussions I love to have. I mean, there are so many characters and real world people that have just brought so much to the fabric of Star Trek. And I'm really glad we're taking the time to call some of these great characters out because all too often, you know, we talk about Kirk and Spock mm. and, and, uh, and Picard and Riker and Cisco. And I really think it's great to draw out some of these other characters. Oh, absolutely. And and what better way to, to, to do that than by celebrating all of the great female characters that we've been talking about over the past several months uh, in this Women of Trek line. And 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 the character of T'Pol is no different. Um, new character, brand new show. People had a lot of questions and maybe some concerns about this show taking place before the time of Kirk and Spock. And, and here's this new character. Here's a Vulcan. And... Uh, very interesting stuff at the very beginning. But over those four years, she solidified herself as one of the strongest female characters in Star Trek history. Well, you know, it's really interesting because if you consider Paul, she was a character that was really different than anything we'd seen in Vulcan society before. The only other time we'd really seen a true Vulcan woman was to Pring in a mm. mock time. And she was the consort of somebody else. She was somebody waiting for a man to come home. So in this case, you know, T'Pol is a very independent, very science-driven woman who is, you know, uh, who is assigned to this ship and is is forced to live and and work with humans on a regular basis. And that's fairly groundbreaking for Vulcans in general. Um, it was a quality about T'Pol that I always appreciated, that she was adding that depth and breadth to Vulcan women. It's interesting because I, I'm going to be very honest. Um as with other characters that took some time for me to really grow an appreciation and love for, this one was probably the one that took me the longest. I got to admit, at first, I was not uh, impressed with the T'Pol character for a couple of different reasons. One of them, um, I'll discuss right up front with you, man, yeah. and, and it's <clears throat> I don't want to offend anybody. I definitely don't want to do that, but I'm going to talk about what it was like back then. We had just gotten introduced uh, in Voyager, not too much uh, not too far uh, before Enterprise, to Seven of Nine. And the writers decided that they wanted to, again, bring in a character that would appeal to the young gentlemen uh, watching television. So they decided to, in my opinion, go with another TNA factor uh, in Star Trek, which a lot of people uh, had a problem with with Voyager. Um, but they decided to do it with... Um, with T'Pol in in Enterprise, and and I will say, jo- Jolene is is an absolutely drop dead gorgeous woman, 
And I was a little concerned at the beginning that that's all she was going to be on the show. And that took place right at the get-go in the first episode when they were in the decontamination chamber, rubbing oils or gels all over each other. And they had the camera angles and this, that, and the other thing. And it bothered me, uh, it, which is strange because I she's, she's gorgeous. But it bothered me in the light of, is this what Star Trek is doing all the time now? And as a result of that, I think it skewed my appreciation for her down a little bit at the very beginning. I can appreciate that on some level. You know, I mean, Star Trek has always had an element of sexiness to it Mm -hmm. when it came to, you know, uh, females, uh, whether they be regular series or or guest stars through the years, Um, especially starting with the soft focus, you know, on on female guest stars in the original series and then going forward into things like cat suits Yes. And uh, and and clothing in all the series. You think of Sherry Jackson in right. TOS and what her little girl's made of, and that outfit, which you know is 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 clearly designed to be sexy for television. Um, I can appreciate that part of the Berman era of Trek is part of this legacy, and yeah. and it's unfortunate um, because DePaul is such a rich character with so much to offer. Uh, Star Trek, um, the crew, the Enterprise, uh, mm-hmm. you name it, that they didn't necessarily have to resort to that. I mean, I understand in the in the show Bible or in the script, they said she should be striking. And Jolene absolutely is. But yeah, the, the cat suit, the, uh, the, the decon chamber mm-hmm. scenes, way over the top and unnecessary. And, and honestly, uh, I think something that, uh, that should not have been done. You know, it's funny when you, when you talk about the, 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 the original series stuff, the Sherry Jacksons and the outfits that were, were, were scantily clad, uh, female characters on the show. It never, I never thought of it in the same way that I think of what they did with, with, uh, Jerry as seven of nine and, and Jolene as, as to Paul, which is kind of weird. Maybe it's because they're 60 shows and I grew up watching them before I really understood what was going on with those type of outfits and, and this, that, and the other thing. But for some reason, even with, even with seven of nine, it didn't bother me as much as it did with to Paul. And again, I'm not complaining in terms of, Wow, it's it's an eye factor type thing, but I just thought it was like I said it a minute ago. Is this what Star Trek is going to become if it hadn't already been that way? Um, so, and and add to that the what I consider the ridiculousness of the early Vulcans and Enterprise, and it just it put a sour taste in my mouth at the beginning for the character of T'Pol. I can understand that. I mean, luckily, um, the eventual writing that they they scripted for T'Pol and Jolene's performance overcame a lot of that, I think, especially in hindsight. You know, I go back and I've actually been rewatching Enterprise now that I've I finished Voyager because I figured Enterprise was next. I may as well continue on. Um, there's there's a lot there for T'Pol even early on. She's more than just you know the uh, the proverbial Vulcan stick in the mud that that annoys Archer. You know, she puts a lot of herself on the line fairly early on in Enterprise and commits to not only the mission, but to Archer as well. And so I, I was really kind of excited by that. Um, one of the things that has always fascinated me about this is that T'Pol was originally supposed to be T'Pau. And that the only reason she wasn't was because of legal reasons. Interesting. <laughs> and I suspect it's because they would have had to pay a royalty. Well, I wondered 
they must have eventually had to pay a royalty because they did bring Tapao on the show eventually. They did. They yeah, did. that's that's very interesting. I was unaware of that. Now, I will say something um, to to set the record straight of where we are as we record tonight. I'm glad that you have started the rewatch of Enterprise. I am going to be very honest and say that there may be parts of our discussion with DePaul that I don't have a lot of of strong opinion or the ability to really dissect what we're talking about because I have not done a rewatch of Enterprise. I haven't watched the entire series since it originally ran, and I've only watched several spot episodes as we do shows here on Trek Geeks that are for specific characters or episodes. So hopefully I'll be able to pull my weight, but I'm going to look to you to carry me, as you always do. I was going to say, it's just par <laughs> for the course for Trek Geeks. Um, I think one of the things that strikes me about T'Pol early on in season one is how guarded she is. And that strikes me as almost being, wait for it, an emotional response. <laughs> um, I often have wondered why a being that exists in logic would be that guarded for mm-hmm. that reason. Now, it could be because some of the animosity between uh, humans and Vulcans, or at least the animosity that humans feel toward Vulcans because of hindering them and in, in getting out into space. Or maybe it's just because she's lived among them for at this point in, in when enterprise kicks off several months. But I think that was a choice that I felt was interesting for the character. Um, you know, she wasn't running around yelling, check the circuit or stand by to <laughs> photograph, yeah. you know, but she was definitely more reserved than I expected her to be. Did you feel the same way? She was reserved, but she was also, she was kind of a bitch. I got, I got to say it that way because I have a huge problem and have had a huge problem with the way that the Vulcans were portrayed in Enterprise, especially during the first season. They are logical, supposedly unemotional beings. However, they are conceited, ignorant, and insulting during Enterprise's first season. And I think that she was that way quite a bit also. The whole thing with um, the the um, revulsion to Porthos and and, and the, uh, order, the odor of humans on the ship, it just rang really, it, it just, it, it, I didn't like it. And I felt that at first she was trying hard to be disliked. Does that make sense? No, it does. And I guess I... I can understand that because I think I felt that way back in 2001. Upon rewatching it, I think my view on that has softened a little bit. And I think it's, it's got more to do with that reserved quality that T'Pol has. Yeah, there are some things that she has to get used to, like the odor of humans, because it's brought up multiple times in season one. Mm-hmm. And certainly uh, it's not like Vulcans travel around with pets or familiars um, <laughs> on board their ships. because no that's yeah, no salats. That's not logical. Why yeah. bring a dog into space? Well, it's it's out of affection. It's out of a bond. And so I can get why that seems foreign to her. Um, one of the things that really fascinates me in looking through some of the, you know, the, the documented history of T'Pol is this, uh, this quick paragraph I found from uh, On Memory Alpha regarding the character. And it's from uh, a segment of Star Trek, the magazine. Shortly after the casting of Jolene Blaylock as T'Pol, Brandon Braga implied that he thought of T'Pol as somewhat similar to Diane Fossey, remarking, it's gorillas in the mist time. (laughs) Braga drew that parallel because he was thinking of T'Pol as the first alien and certainly the first Vulcan to live among humans. However, that concept evidently changed later. I think in a way it didn't 
because here she was observing and learning and adapting to their environment in much the same way Fosse did with the gorillas. And if I look at it in those terms, it's actually really kind of fascinating. That is very interesting. I had never seen or read that paragraph in it. And and someone who's seen Gorillas in the Mist several times with Sigourney Weaver and reading a little bit about the history of the real uh, Diane Fossey, maybe when I rewatch it, I'll have a softer look on it as well because it's amazing how when you get a description from someone who is involved in the show, when you start to look at it with that set of sun, of rose-colored glasses, so to speak, on – how it can change your perception. So that's that's really a great way to look at it, and I had never thought of it in that way before. You know, it's interesting. We give you know, some of the people in Star Trek Discovery a lot of credit, like Anthony Rapp, for you know beginning a rewatch of of Star Trek mm-hmm. before they started filming it. And a lot of people don't realize that Jolene Blaylock did the very same thing. Yes, yep, and rewatched all of TOS. As particularly focusing on Leonard Nimoy's performance as Spock to prepare to play to Paul. And, you know, when I think about that in hindsight, um, I really think that was not only the way to go. I think that her performance actually pays homage to and, and represents that incredibly well. See, you know, what's interesting. Hearing you say that makes me think if she rewatched all of TOS... Why didn't she stand up to the writers and say, why are you writing the Vulcans like this? That's not, especially as we talk about it today, that's not how DC Fontana wrote the Vulcans. Well, it's not how she wrote Spock and Sarek. We don't know much about Vulcan society at this point. So, And that's the danger of retcon, right? I mean, they went back and created elements of Vulcan society that we'd never seen before. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, in the movies, we saw some of the... uh, the, the refusion, um, you know, when they went back to, to Mount Salea um, and put Spock's Katra back in his head. And the, we saw that and that really was it, mm-hmm. you know. So I can appreciate that they tried to do something different with the Vulcans. And I can get that the humans of the time would feel that they were arrogant. But you're right. They were arrogant. <laughs> Very. Um, <laughs> and emotional. And I think they deal yeah. with that later on in Enterprise. But um, I think that they had to show that the Vulcans were evolving too as the humans were evolving. I can I can agree with that. And and as we've talked about on, on Discovering Trek, we see Spock in season two um, at a point in his life where he is much more emotional than we're used to in TOS. And we saw a little bit about of that in the cage when he smiled with the plants. So there's that evolution. So we could be seeing the evolution of the Vulcans at the same time. I will say one thing that I loved what Jolene did right at the very beginning is, yeah, I may have had some problems with the way that Vulcans acted in Enterprise, but one of the things that she did was her was she she talked and and showed her patience. And one of the scenes that has stood out to me to this day, and I probably haven't seen the episode in a couple of years, is when she's cutting the breadstick when they're having dinner. Yeah. The very first episode. Patience. And there's a quote that's used in uh, the Star Trek Timelines game all the time when you when you're when you're using T'Pol as a character, and it's that quote from that scene. No, cool. you're you're spot on. That's um it it shows that there were elements of T'Pol that we would grow to appreciate and that crew would grow to appreciate because I think there were things they had to learn from her beyond the Vulcan star charts. I think there were things that they had to learn um, about being in space 
and about meeting other cultures. And T'Pol was really the only member of the crew that had done anything like that remotely. So in a way, she was kind of like a guide of sorts along those lines. And at times they were very resistant to to her wisdom. Yeah. um, And who more than Archer, I think, right? I mean, I think one of the things, one of the things that I thought was negative about the way that Archer was captain of the Enterprise was the huge chip on his shoulder that he had for a member of his crew because of what happened with his father. It was nice to see over the course of the series that chip, at least when it came to to Paul, kind of went away. And they became a very um, close, uh, both, I think, both in a in a personal and in a captain to, to, to science officer way. Yes. Uh, the level of trust that they mm-hmm. develop in season one that just grows in seasons two through four, I think is, is really kind of reminiscent of the, the trust between Kirk and Spock. Yes. Uh, granted, they're two very different sets of characters, but you know, uh, in, in Broken Boat, Archer wants to knock her on her ass. Yeah. Literally. And he, yep. literally, and he says so. And by the time they get to the end of the series, she's the one who's straightening his collar before he goes out to talk mm-hmm. to, you know, the assembled members of the about to be newly formed Fe- United right. Federation of Planets. So, you know, they develop a, a bond and a trust and a relationship that I think really is beautiful in a number of ways. We're going to talk about a, a couple of those episodes later on and a couple mm-hmm. of key moments, but. Um, uh, you've brought up a good point and I kind of want to stay with it for a bit. And it's the various relationships that she has aboard the ship. Um, you, you can't talk about to Paul and not talk about trip. Right. Because they are, you know, linked uh, through time and eternity. Um, I have been on record previously as saying that I'm really not the biggest trip fan. And that's got nothing to do with Connor. Come on, Captain. Um, <laughs> pan fried catfish god dang um <laughs> you know uh, it's it's not it's not one of my favorite characters in star trek although i'm softening on him too as i i did with characters on voyager but the two of them wind up having a, a very special relationship when it really started off far more contentiously than than it winds up Oh, he was a wise guy with her right from the beginning. I mean, oh, just yeah. throwing insults left and right. Now, I've said it before. I think you've said it before also. When they start dealing with romantic relationships in Star Trek between regular cast members, it's not always a great thing. I mean, we've we've seen it in, in all of the series pretty much, except TOS maybe. Um, but I've got to say that what I remember of the relationship between these two is that it was extremely layered. There was a lot going on. There were bad times. There were good times. And I think that if there was one relationship that they got right, even though it wasn't a perfect relationship and it was definitely not a riding into the sunset together relationship, this is the one that Star Trek got it right with. Yeah, in hindsight, I I keep using the word hindsight a lot because I feel like I've come to appreciate more about Enterprise since it's been canceled than I ever did when I was watching it. Um, I I didn't realize some of the brilliance until years later, which I kind of I kind of feel bad about, even though I watched Enterprise the whole way. Um, yes, I think that the relationship with Trip, although I don't like the way it started, this whole right. Vulcan neuro pressure thing, uh, which yes. I thought was just ridiculous going back to to your comment about you know the uh 
the the Berman era mm-hmm. um, sexing things up. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was a little ridiculous, but I appreciate that it became so much more than that. You know, we talk about the bond that that Archer and and T'Pol had, but there is probably a a greater bond between her and Trip. I mean, you figure that you know when um, when she goes back to to Vulcan, um, Trip goes with her. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's not the kind of thing that you would expect. I mean, when Spock goes to Vulcan, he brings McCoy and Kirk because he's about to beat somebody to death to to win to bring. She goes back home and says, hey, you want to meet my parents? And I'd be like, uh, no. <laughs> and uh, hey, want to help me get married to this other guy? <laughs> yeah. And then she kisses him on the cheek. I mean, Trip Trip essentially gives her away in a sense. And then what does she do? She She shows him affection, which I... I was really kind of stunned by because uh, Vulcan. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's another thing I always wrestled with is they're not supposed to be emotional, but yet every time we talk about things about Enterprise and the Vulcans, emotion is always coming into play. Every single time. Whether it's emotions of affection, like this one, or it's emotions of of, of insults and, and arrogance. It seemed to be a common thread in at least the early parts of Enterprise with the Vulcans and emotions. And Jolene was, I put this in finger air quotes, guilty of that as well. And that's a perfect example of it. You know, it's interesting because in the past, when talking about Deep Space Nine and the relationship between Odo and Kira, we've both talked about how they kind of gave Odo telling Kira about his feelings short shrift. They had future Odo do it. So that current Odo got out of it. Right. And Enterprise kind of did the same thing with Sim. You know, Sim kind of reveals to T'Pol the feelings that Trip has. And it kind of sets up things down the road. And that never set right with me. Because here we have this clone of Trip that's just there to, to have his organs harvested to save Trip. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And of course, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, by the way, he's got a lot of feelings for you. Yeah. Um, and I just, I really didn't like the way they backed into that. I don't know. Is it just a way to possibly not have that, you know, we were talking about how relationships never really seem to, to play out very well in Star Trek, maybe a way to soften it, to make it more, ah type of thing. I don't know. <laughs> I do want to say one thing. We were talking about it before and the sexing up of the episodes. I yeah. don't want to sound like it's, you know, obviously with, with Jerry Ryan on Voyager and obviously with Jolene on Enterprise. It's not as if it was just with the women because how many times when they were doing that nerve impulse thing was Trip shirtless and wearing 1980s Boston Celtics uniform shorts <laughs> on. I mean, it, I, I mean, it's both ways, people. I don't want you to think I'm, I'm you know, focusing on one over the other. <laughs> No, it's true. It's true. Um, or how many times they have Bacula shirtless? Yeah. You know, even just in in seasons one and two, it's like, really, dude, put a shirt on. You're killing me. It's warm on the bridge. Who do you think you are, Shatner? <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, wow. In thinking about some episodes, there's no way we can talk about to Paul without considering what you and I both view as probably one of Enterprise's greatest episodes, and one we've done a Trek Geeks episode mm-hmm. on, which is Twilight. It's not only one of the ultimate reset button episodes, but I think it's one of the ultimate character episodes in Enterprise, because it shows a real growth in the relationship between T'Pol and Archer, and it actually shows her love for him. Yeah, it is my favorite Enterprise episode. 
Yeah. Uh, um, I don't, th- I don't think that any episode has moved me the way that one did. Um, although it is a reset button episode, like you said, doesn't matter. It's still, it shows what these two felt for each other and especially what she felt for him. Can you imagine going through all of those years that in just a little while, everything that you've been talking about is going to be completely out of the guy's head and you have to start over. And then you have to start over. Talk about the patience of cutting that breadstick. How about the patience of dealing with that every single day for how many years? And she does it because she loves him. Well, and she essentially leaves the ship and, and takes him to the surface of SETI Alpha 5 mm-hmm. to take care of him for the rest of his life. Because obviously she's Vulcan. She's most likely going to outlive him. Right. She does it to take care of him because of the sacrifice he made for her. I mean, that shows a level of emotion that I think most people don't realize Vulcans should be capable of. You know, we we tend to forget that Vulcans have emotions. They just hide them. Right. Um, or they choose to repress them in favor of logic, which just isn't natural. But that's a topic for another podcast episode, I think. Um, but that episode, it's like you said, it, it is incredibly moving. Um, uh, even up until the reset button, you know, uh, the, the way that she deals with him and talks to him, you can sense the genuine love in those scenes. And it really is quite touching. You know, I can't watch that episode and not tear up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and it not only I think she has that uh, that love for him, and, and you got to wonder, is it a love relationship love or a love father, daughter, brother, sister type of love. I've never really been able to really figure that out. But I think she also has a tremendous amount of guilt at the same time. Absolutely. That that obviously plays into um, the reason that she decided to do the thing she did in that episode. It is, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant episode. I absolutely love it. Just, I mean, just from the opening scene with the destruction of Earth is, is you're like, oh, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> and then it just gets better and better. And it's, and you have that, you have that sci-fi action story of the episode, but then you have this core Star Trek relationship episode and she shines in this one so well. You know, the, there's another small scene and I, I guess it's it's not really small depending on how you think about it, but in the episode is Zadi Prime um, during the Zindi arc season. Um, there's, there's a scene in that episode um, that really kind of demonstrates the bond between Archer and T'Pol. So Archer turns over command of the Enterprise to T'Pol. And then leaves on what everybody assumes is going to be a suicide mission. Oh, I remember this. He's not coming back. Yeah. And to Paul, because he, they've got to stop the Zindi weapon before it gets to Earth. Mm-hmm. And to Paul is unable to control her emotions. She essentially gives Trip the con and then goes into the captain's ready room and breaks down and starts crying. Right. And that moment, I mean, one, it is so brilliantly portrayed by Jolene. But if you just take that moment and what it means and what T'Pol feels, it truly is gut-wrenching. And it is it is right up there with some of the best scenes in the entire series. Absolutely. What about, uh, you already touched on it just a little bit, but one of the things I remember about the finale, uh, the Next Generation finale called Enterprises of the Voyages, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm just kidding. Is, is you know, she straightens his collar, but Archer hugs her backstage before he, he goes out and gives her speech and she doesn't cower from it. She doesn't stiffen up. 
and and again it's it's another one of those um of those examples of the respect and admiration that I think they both build over the four years that they that they work together on the ship oh, without a doubt you know i um it, it's really been interesting in thinking of some of these moments and and thinking about the character of DePaul, she really has become one of my favorite characters in all of Trek. And I re- I get that it's a long list. You know, we got how many series now with mm. new series happening all the time. But for me, I mean, she's probably among my top five characters in all of Star Trek. And I think that's that's pretty significant because I think she goes through the most growth in Enterprise. You know, we talk about how Nog probably had the best character arc in all of Deep Space Nine. Right. You know, because it was so fully realized. I think in Enterprise, T'Pol is the equivalent of that because she ends up in a completely different place than where she starts. That's a good point. And I think that the, I think that the writer's purposely focused on the arc of her character over everyone else's. I don't want to say it was blatantly obvious, but I think that she was the Spock of this, no pun intended, because she was a Vulcan. She was the Spock of of Enterprise. And I really think that they, they did a lot more with her character development than others. One of the other aspects, Bill, that I wanted to talk about, and we actually briefly touched on this this afternoon when we were talking about the episode, is... We talked about the respect and the admiration that each had for each other. But there was an episode that you brought up to me about how Jonathan Archer started having maybe uh, I'm liking this girl type feelings uh, in the episode (laughs) A Night in Sickbay. And they kind of played on the whole, you know, sex it up aspect that we've been talking about the whole episode. I don't remember them as well as you do, but when you told them to me, I was kind of snickering a little bit. I actually just watched that episode the other day. You know, so uh, Archer's dog, Porthos, um, is exposed to some kind of pathogen um, and has to spend a night in sickbay where Phlox is trying to treat him. And of course, Archer decides he's going to stay in sickbay with, with Porthos. A lot of people hate this episode, but I actually love it because I think it tells us a lot about Archer. Maybe we'll, we may have to do an episode on a night in sickbay simply so that we can uh, we can treat this episode the way it deserves and not malign it like so many people do. Pencil it in. But, um, you know, Flax makes the observation that he thinks that Archer has unrequited feelings for T'Pol. And that throws Archer off his game to the point where he's having a conversation with T'Pol and, you know, he's tired. He hasn't slept. And, you know, he 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 starts having Freudian slips. You know, where instead of saying best, he says breast. And instead of saying list, he says lips. And he keeps fumbling over the words, feeling really awkward. And it's a scene that's constructed really well. And of course, to Paul, deadpan as ever just looks right at him and doesn't say a word. (laughs) Which is a great look. But Archer's got to feel like a high school freshman, you know, talking to a girl for the first time in homeroom. Right. Yeah, uh, it's uh, I it, see that's the type of thing that I like. They're able to throw those comedic aspects. I mean, um, what was it? Uh, Shuttle Pod One was that the episode yeah. where Malcolm? Or she has a nice bum. I mean, they throw those type of things in there to kind of play with the idea that yeah, maybe you know we're we're bringing this aspect of the series in, but let's have some fun with it at the same time. And I think that Night in Sick Bay uh, example that you shared with me was is is a great example of that. Well, I think it. I think it shows a little bit of how immature we were as a species, <laughs> um, venturing out into space, you know, for for exploration, um, especially so, you know, the nice bum comment, which at the time I remember going, yeah, that's a little weird. 
Um, I don't know that locker room talk would happen aboard a starship or that um, Jonathan Archer would go for that. Well, you know what? Let me break in there because yeah, I, dis- I disagree with that. You know, just because it's in the future, you don't think that, you know, guys are going to have conversations or, or girls are going to have conversations similar to what we might have today. I see no I, – I, I, I can't see that not happening in the future. It's just part of human nature, I think. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, humanity is supposed to have evolved. Just as a there's a camera on him this Past time, so that's that. why it's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> that's because we're watching it in Star Trek. Supposed to be rise above that, exactly. Maybe. <laughs> Can you imagine anyone on the Voyager talking about Seven of Nine that way? No. Except maybe Harry or probably Tom Paris. Tom Paris, yeah. <laughs> and Harry would be like, "Oh, golly gee willikers, Tom." <laughs> No, I'm still not going to get promoted. <laughs> I don't see a box with a rank pip on my chair. Yeah, you don't, Harry. Shut up. Um, oh, that was good. One of the one of the storylines I, I actually was pretty fascinated on when it comes to Paul was her whole exposure to Trillium D and what it did to her in the long term. Um, it was the uh, the episode Impulse. You know, uh, the, uh, shortly after their arrival in, in the Expanse, the crew of the Enterprise locates Paul's former ship, the Salea, uh, which was caught in a Trillium D asteroid field. Um, she and Reed and Archer take a shuttle pod to check out the ship where they found the surviving crew suffering from severe dementia and homicidal rage. Now, I can understand that that gave probably something interesting for T'Pol to have to deal with long term. But I thought it was really interesting that they would actually deal with that long term because Vulcans have been in space for a while. Um, it's not like somebody wouldn't say, hey, dudes, Chelium D, don't go near that. I don't remember that episode at all. Okay. I'm sorry to say. Um, I'm gonna, I'm, I just jotted it down as you wrote it because I'm like, okay, this seems like something I should remember. But unfortunately, I'm, I've, I've, I'm embarrassed that I don't remember it at all. Well, she continues to experience after effects of it really throughout season three, um, you know, where she's occasionally emotional, which, you know, that episode for Azadi Prime could, could explain, you know, mm-hmm. her crying in the, in the, uh, in the ready room, you know, and Harbinger and damage, you know, there's, there's other releases of emotions. So yes, compromised by the Trillium D, but I was, I was kind of surprised that they mini arced that um, and gave her that challenge because I, I thought it cheapened some of the emotions that she actually felt. Um, that's just me. I, I may feel differently after I rewatch it again, but I can remember feeling that at the time because it's like, um, you know, uh, why give her, you know, a, a substance problem? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to have happens in every episode. Didn't we just recently talk about that, uh, with the wire the the, wire. last week. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. Wow. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. The, um, the Trillium D exposure did not have anything to do with the mind meld no. storyline. Okay. No. Because I know that that was another one that I was like, huh, what? Yeah, yeah. that's that's <laughs> another one. Um, it, it seemed like that one existed simply just to um, have T'Pol be attacked. Yes. Yeah. And explain why mind melds happen. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily dig that explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, I can appreciate it that it was a, 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 a an offshoot group of, of Vulcans who who sort of advocated for that, but I just I, I'm not really that's, that was part of the Vulcan recon I did not enjoy. 
Yeah. There there are aspects of it that, of course, you're going to be kind of like scratching your head. And that I do remember that that whole storyline was kind of like, OK, I'm not really digging this. And I think they're just throwing it in there for a way to be able to show Vulcans having mind melds and how it started. And how yeah. it was so and I, I did find it interesting that it was so frowned upon. I thought that was interesting because we see Spock do it all the time. One of the last <laughs> things I want to talk about with with reference to to Paul was really kind of the scene at the end of Shockwave Part 2, which is the second season premiere. Mm-hmm. You know, so at this point, Pajem has already happened. They've exposed the Vulcan listening post um, that we've talked about on Trek Geeks pro- previously. And in Shockwave, you know, a, situa- a, a civilization is accidentally vaporized or their atmosphere yes. is cooked off um, thanks to the Sulaban who wind up uh, setting up the Enterprise crew for the blame. And there's a scene at the end of Shockwave where she essentially steps up and and says to the Vulcans, hey, you don't think humans should be out there exploring the galaxy? Well, you know what? We haven't exactly helped them. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. And she steps up and and really takes an unpopular view with the Vulcans, which technically puts her career at risk to defend Archer and the crew of the Enterprise. And I think it's really one of the greatest standout moments of T'Pol where you realize she's not only all in, she's part of this crew and invested and did so at her own peril. Absolutely. It was the moment where you say, wow, if you look at what she was like with Archer at the beginning of season one, his broken bow and, and the episodes that followed and how they were always just, you know, air quote again at each other's throats and just constantly Archer throwing insults. She stands up for him and she, she, she puts Saval in his place and Saval, the look, the look that he gives and the reaction. Yeah. You, you know that she's a member of the enterprise crew and not just someone being borrowed by the Vulcan science Academy anymore. Absolutely. I mean, Saval uncharacteristically looks pissed. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, yep. and he storms out of the room. I mean, that, that's very un-Vulcan. You know, and uh, for me, it, it really says that T'Pol has come into her own. She's not just an observer. She's not just somebody the Vulcans have placed on the ship. She belongs. And at that point, she belonged to me. And uh, to me, she belonged in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And that's really when I started to take notice of the character and say, you know what? I'm I'm on board with this character, and I really think that that this character is fantastic, and uh, that's a huge credit to the writing of of Shockwave Part Two, and also to Jolene's performance. There's there's two episodes that I want to uh, not two uh, yeah two episodes that I want to quickly bring up. Yeah. One regarding Jolene herself, and the other for T'Pol. For Jolene, because she's not playing T'Pol, you you can't talk about Jolene in Enterprise without talking about Carbon Creek. Oh yeah, we've done we've done an episode uh, of Trek Geeks on that. Just a brilliant episode. Another great piece of retcon where actually Vulcans were on Earth well before first contact, um, and it's it's a fantastic episode. Dayton has a great novel about the continuation of that, um, and she is phenomenal in this role. Uh, I think it might be one of her best performances in Enterprise. Um, is that Carbon Creek episode? And I know that you, I know that you really like that episode. Yeah, as absolutely. Well. The other one I wanted to mention very quickly in regards to the T'Pol character is when we see old T'Pol in <gasps> E2. Yes, makeup's not awesome, but old T'Pol is awesome. 
See, I think the makeup is pretty fantastic when you consider old age makeup in Star Trek. Oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It absolutely. doesn't look like uh, the deadly years by any means. <laughs> and I, I like, I like the way that old T'Pol, as I'll call her, handles herself and handles those around her. I've, I had not seen that episode since it originally aired until about, I don't know, maybe six months ago. And I watched it three times. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a great episode. I really like it. Yeah. You know, as we, we close out our discussion on to Paul, um, uh, you cannot understate how wonderful Jolene Blaylock is in this part. I don't think to Paul gets the, the respect that she deserves as a character. And I don't think Jolene gets the respect that she right. deserves as the, the actress who portrayed her. Um, she had tough shoes to fill as being the first real, really fleshed out woman uh, Vulcan woman in Star Trek. And when you consider that she had to create something from scratch, all she had to go on was Leonard's performance as a mm-hmm. Spock. Um, what wound up happening was truly awesome. Um, I, I love to Paul. I adore Jolene and I hope that she's at the uh, Enterprise 20 convention in 2021 so that uh, that that I can I can meet her and just say thanks. I'm glad you brought that up and and I got to say that as as I mentioned at the beginning of the show I didn't really n- love the character uh, at the beginning of Enterprise. I loved T'Pol by the end. I yeah. thought she a great Jolene again. Uh, we say with every character nobody could have played blah blah blah. She does such a great job, and I think one of the things that is very sad to me, and this is no, this is not a negative comment towards her. She does whatever what she does with her life, and that's great. She doesn't do conventions, um, so I, not that I know of, I don't think I've ever heard of her being at a convention in the time that we've been doing Trek Geek. So I'm not sure if she actually does them or if she does. They're very few and far between. But I, I am right there with you, man. I pray that she is at Enterprise 20 um, because uh, I would love to be able to um, to meet her. Her, get a photo op with her and, and thank her for what she did. Likewise. Well, you know, Dan, uh, the more we have these discussions on the women of Star Trek, the uh, the more it makes me want to watch more Star Trek. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm rewatching Enterprise now because if I weren't, I would I would be starting with Broken Boat tonight. There you go. I'm glad that I could persuade you. You should be downloading <laughs> some Enterprise for the plane, my friend. Oh, that might not be a bad idea. Yeah, you just see. load that up, download some episodes. I think uh, I think you're going to be surprised at how well the show has aged and how mm-hmm. how much more you appreciate it now, given all the new Star Trek we're getting. Totally tangent, but very quickly. Yeah. One thing that I just think is fantastic about Enterprise, and I think you share the same thing, is we love the character and we love to Paul and that. No, that ship is so gorgeous. <laughs> love me some nx01 send your ships send your ships <laughs> well dan we also love the band five-year mission they who provide every last bit of music you hear here on the trek geeks podcast and the trek geeks podcast network here here, here. um <laughs> without them uh, you know we we would not have the sound that we do and we're so grateful to them for their music and also for having a podcast on our network five-year mission the podcast available now wherever you put podcasts in your ear holes um, but we want you to support the band. So please go buy their albums, get those CDs in your hands, go on to five year get that physical media because, uh, you'll always have it and become a huge fan of the band. Just as Dan and I are, we guarantee you're going to love their music. Five year mission is just awesome. 
I was listening to their latest podcast earlier this week. They rock. Maybe it was because maybe it was so good because Fark wasn't on that episode. I don't know. Oh. Ouch! Just kidding, buddy. Um, you know what's? You know what else is important to have, Bill? Is a knowledgeable doctor on board the Enterprise. That's a very important that's, thing. That's always been true. You, you know, especially with NX01, as we just talked about. You know, they're out there seeking new worlds and new civilizations for the very first time. Oh, this guy was great. On top of his vast medical knowledge. This doctor was a brilliant drummer who was known to use his percussion instruments as a way to help heal his patients, human or beagle, or at least get them out of sick bay faster. He was he was fantastic. The astounding Denobulan, Dr. Farks. I said it. What what so you know we do these these thank you to five year mission. Captain. Sorry. <laughs> We do these thank yous to five-year mission every week, and then you undo it <laughs> with your ham-handed attempt. Ham-handed? At a farkism. Um, I think that's a good one. That was one of the worst ones you've ever done. Oh, please. That was one of the, that was one of the lamest ones you've ever done. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Dr. But farks. Farks. I, I, I wanted to say flarks, but that wouldn't have made any sense at all. Oh, thank God you put some thought into it. <laughs> FiveYearMission.net, please go get all their albums and get Five Year Mission, the podcast. We guarantee you're going to love it. Of course, Dan, don't forget you can support the Patreon. <laughs> I got Dan Davidson disease. Don't forget you can support the Trek Takes Network of podcasts by subscribing to exclusive content via Patreon. You know, we just released our 2020 Patreon t-shirt design as well as the brand new annual supporters pin for next year. Those really, those, uh, that artwork is all up on our Patreon. You can check it out and you can even get raw unedited audio of all of our podcasts along with some other perks there, Dan. Yeah. Great perks. The shirt design and the pin design, dude, you rocked the house on those. Um, we also want to take a moment now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support and they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, Jim McMahon, Luke Burnham, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. You know, absolutely. We also want to thank our amazing producers for Trek Geeks. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Network. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today. Dan, next week, <laughs> it's, our, it's our last brand new episode of 2019, but... It's also something we never expected when we started this journey five years ago. We are we are humbled and we are truly grateful. Indeed we are, my friend. Indeed we are. Uh, wow. Next week, we have a special episode for our listeners as we welcome our dear friends and Politrex hosts, Barry DeFord and Shashank Avaru, to be guest hosts on <laughs> – dude, I can't even believe I'm saying it – episode 200 of Trek Geeks. Even we don't know what they have in store for us, as we will be guests for one of the segments of the show. And I got to say, we want to thank each and every one of you for your support over these last 109 episodes. And we look forward to episode 200 
next week right here on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. It, it's amazing to think that this is, will be the only episode of Trek Geeks I did not produce. Yes, um, it probably will be the best one. I, that's probably true. <laughs> um, our, <laughs> we got to start looking over our shoulder because uh, <laughs> Shashank and Barry are coming for us. But that's episode 200, a celebration of Trek Geeks next week on Trek Geeks. Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out our other podcasts on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. There's Rewind. There's... Rewind. <laughs> Are you going to do that with everyone? There's Politrex. Politrex. There's Five Year Mission, the podcast. Five Year Mission. There's Discovering Trek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Discovery Trek. <laughs> and then, of course, Trek Geeks Game Night over on our YouTube channel. Dan Garcia over there is leading a bunch of people through gameplay of the Star Trek Adventures role-playing game. And it's a fun time. So you can dial up our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash trekgeeks and watch an episode today. And, of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo... Please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For the 199th time, this has been the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Send your coconuts. Uh, Like UPS or FedEx or... I'm just going to punch you right in the throat. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong, Dan. Sup? Hello, Dan. Sup? Dan, this is the portion of the show where we do the bing bong. Bing bong. How are you today, Dan? Oh, my God. I am so sick of your voice. That's not very nice to say, Dan. Uh, You know what? Every time you say that, all I can think of is um, Ray Finkel uh, in Ace Ventura, which he's like, hello, Dan. (laughs) When she wants to, like... uh, uh, I forget what her name. Uh, Einhorn, Lois Einhorn. When she's playing Lois Einhorn, she says "Dan" and then kisses him. So don't kiss me. Lisa's out, Dan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dan, welcome to Trek NPR. I'm your host, Bill Smith. It's a pleasure to have you here today to talk about Star Trek. Wake up, Dan. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you going to do this the whole outtake? Because it's really, really, really bad. I don't come on your show (laughs) and talk about how bad your voice is, you insensitive jerk. I didn't say your voice was bad. You said your voice was bad. So. I think if we we rewind the tape, your insult will be very apparent, Dan. Tape. Rewind the tape (laughs) with a pencil eraser. Maybe I used to do that. It's government oh funding God. here, Dan. <laughs> Although we should have better equipment. Really? <laughs> government funding? You think we have better equipment? Yeah, $40,000 toilet seats or whatever that used to be. Anyway, are you done? $120,000 hammer, Dan. <laughs> Which I would put in the back of your skull right now. Anyway, um, it's good to see you, pal. How are you? Oh, Violence notwithstanding, <laughs> it's great to talk to you, too. My friend, mi amigo, wow. mi compadre. 
Oh. That's the noche. Excuse me? I don't know. I just don't even know what you're doing. Donde esta el baño? That's right over there. Thank you, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... I'm not even going to say anything because I just know how you're going to answer it. So I'll just be quiet. Oh, he's coughing now. Yeah. It's the quietest he's ever been. He presses that mute button. Isn't great? Oh, he's back. Here he comes, people. What is it you were going to say, Dan? <laughs> I don't even know. I have no idea. I have no clue. No. Are you being like Vulcany right now? Because it kind of ties to what we're talking about. I think I mentioned... That this is Trek NPR, Dan. When's Alec going to be on? Who? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Low-end podcaster. Today, Dan, we have a wonderful topic that we'll be speaking about to our listeners. It's about one of the central characters in the series Enterprise, which later, you may not know, was renamed... Star Trek Enterprise. I speak, of course, of the character T'Pol, which is spelled T apostrophe, capital P, lowercase O L. It's the L lowercase T'Pol. You're you're a very brilliant man. Thank you. I look forward to the conversation. And I uh, I want to thank you for allowing me to be part of this show for the last 198 episodes as we hone in on 200. I swear to God, if we have to talk like this going forward after episode 200, I might have to jump off a building. That would be delightful, Dan. <laughs> There's only so long I can keep up the NPR bit. Jeez, that is just, all I can think of is the Christmas uh, skit on Saturday Night Live with Baldwin, which is one of the best skits ever. Sweaty balls. Here. Sweaty balls, yep. Absolutely well, awesome. And this was not unlike the coconut outtake from the STLV for, no- STLV for Noobs episode, episode yep. 15, where um, where essentially I started off with, with that voice, and it evolved into coconut. So. Yes. <sighs> just the good old days. See, now I don't have any inflection in my voice because you wore me down, and now I just feel like I have to talk like that all day. Some might say you've actually never had any inflection in your voice, and um, they'd be right. Wow. Okay. So, anyway. You'll talk about boring and monotonous, more so than your face. Your voice actually takes it to a whole new level. I don't like my voice. I gotta say. That's amazing, because I don't like your face. I, I, don't, I, I thought you were going to say, well, nobody likes your voice, but so I appreciate that. Um, but I don't, I don't like my face either or my voice. I just don't like myself, Bill. You know what the funny part is, is that most people assume your voice goes with my face. So I what know. kind of statement does that make? Yeah. Oof, oof. It means you look fantastic, but sound horrible. Or it could be I sound horrible and look fantastic <laughs> if I wanted to compliment you. Isn't that the reverse of what I just said? Absolutely it is. I just wanted to see if you catch it. <laughs> It's amazing that you're trying to see if you can catch me. <laughs> Go dunk, Help dunk. me, Spuck. <laughs> Help me, Spuck. And this week on Trek Geeps. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry. We're not supposed to laugh at ourselves because that's just dumb. 
I laugh at you every single time we record. I just want you to know. <laughs> oh, I laugh at you when you're not around, so that's even better. So there you go. Yeah, but I usually laugh at you right in your face, um, and that's because um, of primarily your face. I don't really appreciate the fact that you have to be insulting like that. I'm not. The truth is no insult. No, I knew that was coming. I walked right into that rake. So, um, we have our 200th episode coming up next week. Um, and you and I have done no work for it. That's because (laughs) we aren't hosting it. We aren't producing it. Um, we just really showed up and recorded one segment. We are butt guests and I don't mean butt guests. I mean, we're just guests. So that's going to be a, I, I don't know. Don't even ask the question. I will drive over to your house and punch you right in the throat. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's kind of nice. And it's going to be like a, it could, it has the potential of being a mega episode. And we have not had many of those. I, I'm going to ask the question anyway, because in order to punch me in the throat, you'd have to shovel a path to my front door and I could use that right about now. I'll just so, drive right into your freaking front door with my truck. What's a butt guest? I have no idea. You are so stupid. <laughs> But I don't know if they have a guest who's a real dummy, butt guest. Is that like, like a, a butt like, co-host? Like a butthead. Co-host. <laughs> it's just so. It's, that was really adult, oh my Dan. God, here we go. <laughs> really adult. Hi, Abby. How you doing? <laughs> I was going to say hi to your dog. She can't hear you. Oh, oh, actually, she probably can, actually. Well, that's probably why she's pretending to be asleep. Wow. You are... Well. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jerk, you ready uh, to uh, do yes. this thing? Let's talk women of Trek. Yeah, baby. Do it. <laughs> 